0: Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning in to the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, it's great to see you. I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church, whether you're streaming with us, whether you're here. Happy Easter. Uh, my name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Blue Ridge. And it is a thrill to have you join us because really, when you think about Easter it's a celebration, right? It's not a celebration of egg hunts or uh, brightly colored clothes, although the brightly colored clothes are a bonus. You know, last week I had on a bright orange shirt, and I thought, man, this looks good. And my youngest daughter and my wife and inform me in the lobby, they're like, that's your Easter shirt that you wore on Palm Sunday. So they had to go to TJ Maxx this week and pick me out another shirt. So that is a bonus of Easter, right? But it's not why we celebrate. It's not a celebration of the Easter bunny or chocolate or even Peeps. How many of you like Peeps? Very few of you. Yeah, I'm with you. And now they're trying to take Peeps into every other holiday. It is an Easter tradition. Peeps should not be in any other holiday but Easter. But I found the secret to Peeps. You take the cellophane off and you leave them on the the counter for like a month. I'm telling you, they're awesome after that. They're kind of really hard and crunchy and chewy. I know it's weird, but you need to trust me on that. But we don't celebrate the Easter bunny. That's not what Easter's about or peeps. It's not even a celebration of the teachings of Jesus or the miracles of Jesus or the signs of Jesus. Easter is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. Because on a weekend like this, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus was put to death on a cross. But the good news is he didn't stay dead. And that's why we celebrate, because he rose from the dead. Really, if you think about it, you could say that Easter or or Christianity, in fact, is an event-based faith. Right? It's based on an event. So today what we celebrate is what happened on that third day and the fact that Jesus didn't stay dead. Now we've been in a series for the past six weeks called Signs and we've been looking at the Gospel of John written by the disciple John where he laid out the signs and the miracles that pointed him to Jesus. That he came to the conclusion based on what he had seen and experienced that Jesus was the Messiah, he was the Son of God. John didn't believe just on blind faith because somebody told him to believe. He believed because of what he saw. So today I simply want to invite you, whether you're at home, whether you're here, uh, to kind of try to put yourself in the shoes of the people that were there at the resurrection. The eyewitnesses that actually saw Jesus alive after he was put to death. Now Matt talked to you about how to get our notes. I'm going to have the tech crew put that QR code up on the screen again in case you didn't get a chance to download our notes. Just open your camera app and, and zoom into that. You don't even have to take a picture and it'll drive you to Blue blueridgechurch.net. But here's where I want to start today. Uh, the very first learning, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Right? If you're a Christian and you would say you're a Christian, then the foundation of your faith is a resurrection. Because if we don't have the resurrection, if we don't have what we celebrate today, we don't have anything. The apostle Paul said it like this in verse 17 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sin. So let's talk about why that is important. Now, the Bible talks about uh, the resurrection. Sure, the Bible lays it out for us, but our faith is not simply based on the fact that the Bible tells us, you know, to believe. It's based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered death. Now, let me just say this. If you're uh, with us and you would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't know where I stand on the, on the faith spectrum or if you're watching from him. I get that. All right, or maybe you grew up in church, and maybe you had a, a bad experience in church, and, and so you avoided the church like the plague. Or maybe you had a bad experience with, uh, with Christians, and you would say, you know what, Scott, I'm a, I'm a skeptic. I totally get that. But I want to tell you that I'm thrilled that you're here, because something brought you here, right? Maybe, maybe it was a prompting of God that brought you here. Maybe it was pressure from your mother-in-law, Right? Uh, you know, you come to church every year as a family. Maybe they told you that you'd have a nice meal after this if you would just come to church with them. Or maybe even better, they told you we had a very young and good-looking pastor (laughs) at Blue Ridge Church. Well, at least I hope you get the meal. You know, one out of two isn't bad. But I truly appreciate you being here. And if I only have one opportunity in my life to talk to you About something. I don't want to spend my time trying to defend the Bible. I don't want to try to spend any of our time trying to defend what Christians have done in the past or what Christians have said in the past. Because let's face it, Christians have done some crazy things and said some weird things. I wouldn't even try to defend uh, the, the church. Or some of the things the church has done in the name of Christ in the past because it hasn't looked anything like Christ, I'd simply want to tell you the story of the resurrection because it's the foundation of our faith. It's what makes our faith what it is. And listen, if you're here or watching and you'd say, Scott, I am a Christian, Uh, I I follow Christ, I would just tell you my prayer is, is that we would see this incredible story in a whole new light today, through the eyes of the disciple John. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, the people in Jerusalem, Judea, they did exactly what you and I I would have done had we seen someone rise from the dead. I mean, you see a guy crucified, you see a guy killed, you see him buried, and then three days later he's walking around, what would you do? You tell people about it, right? You tell people about what you saw, and that's exactly what they did. And the story of Jesus went viral after the resurrection. They didn't take the social media because they didn't have social media, but they told people about it and they wrote about it because they could not deny what they had witnessed with their very own eyes. And, and really, you think about the crucifixion. After the crucifixion, Christianity literally exploded in growth because people could not quit talking about the fact that Jesus had overcome death. And that gave them hope that they too someday would overcome death. And I think what we need to, to realize is, oh, okay, great, they told other people about it. They could lose their life after the resurrection, for telling others about Jesus. There was so much hatred for Jesus. The hatred for Jesus was so great, after his resurrection, you could be put to death for even talking about Jesus. And a lot of people were put to death. A lot of those early Christians were killed because of their faith in Jesus and because they told other people about Jesus. So I always tell people, if this was one big lie, There's no way those eyewitnesses would have kept talking about Jesus because their life was in danger. But they did keep talking about Jesus and the fact that he rose from the dead because they could not deny, again, what they had seen with their eyes. For once they had hope over physical death. And just for a little background, those people in Judea and Jerusalem, all those Israelites, they were waiting on a Messiah. They they remember the promise to Abraham thousands of years earlier where God said, I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send a deliverer. Well, Well, think about it. They're under Roman rule, right? They're under the oppression of the Romans. And so they're thinking God's going to send them an earthly Messiah, an earthly king. Someone that's going to help overthrow the Roman government. They had no idea about a spiritual Messiah. That was the last thing on their mind. They're thinking like an earthly king, like King David or something that's going to, you know, wipe out the Romans and give them control back. But along comes Jesus and he starts teaching and his teaching's incredible. incredible. He, he starts healing people. He does all these miracles and signs like we've looked at in this series. And all of a sudden, people started following him. People were curious. People started gathering around to listen to him teach. And and before long, large crowds were following Jesus wherever he went. And this upset the religious leaders. Because now the people were following Jesus and they weren't paying attention to them. They were in charge of the temple. They were in charge of God, so to speak. They really controlled the distribution of God to the people. The religious leaders did. And now, all of a sudden, this guy, Jesus, is stealing their business. They're thinking, this guy is a threat. And so after the miracle we looked at last week, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, the religious leader said, that's it. That's the final straw. we got to put him to death. And I want to read this to you. We read this last week, but here's what they said. John eleven forty-seven 47 through 48. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this soon, everyone will believe him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Ultimately, Jesus was condemned to death. Uh, by the temple and the religious leaders, and, and so they crucified him. And we can read about it in any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And the amazing thing about the Gospel accounts of the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, is they wrote it as, uh, not as if it was a story. They wrote it as if it was something that actually happened, because it was. And if you were going to make up this story about Jesus, if you were going to make up this story about the resurrection, if it was all one big lie, there is no way you would have written it the way that the disciples wrote it. You most certainly would have put a different spin on the story than the way the disciples wrote it. I mean, think about it. The people who wrote about Jesus, they didn't write themselves into the story as heroes, or even as a, as a partial hero. They wrote themselves in the story as cowards, as followers of Jesus who have followed Jesus, some of them three and a half years, who were now fearing for their life, and they lacked total faith in who Jesus was. In fact, you can read in, in Mark's uh, account. He talks about a follower of Jesus. We don't know who it was, but he was in the grasp of, an, of a Roman soldier. The Roman soldier had a hold of him in his cloak, and the guy spun out of his cloak, and he ran away naked because he was scared for his life. See, after the arrest of Jesus and the death of Jesus, all of their hopes and dreams about who Jesus was went out the window. You can read about Peter. We know Peter. He's in the courtyard after Jesus gets arrested And he's approached by a middle school age girl. And she says, are you one of Jesus' followers? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because he was scared to death of the religious leaders, and he was scared to death of the Romans. So they didn't write themselves in as heroes. They wrote themselves in as cowards that scattered as soon as Jesus was arrested and captured. They were more concerned with their life than what was going on with Jesus. And again, I get it. All the promises Jesus made about himself when he got arrested and was crucified, that stuff went out the window. So if this was all a lie and and you're trying to keep this Jesus movement alive, there's no way you would have written the story the way they wrote the story. You would have talked about how you stood by Jesus. You would have talked about how you you stood up to the Roman soldiers when they came to try to arrest Jesus. You would have talked about how you were with Jesus in his hour of need. You certainly wouldn't have talked about how you ran and scattered because you feared for your life. Those guys didn't even show up to his burial. One, I think, was at the crucifixion, John. The rest of them were hiding for their life. The religious leaders, the enemies of Jesus, they had more confidence in the followers of Jesus than the followers of Jesus had in themselves, right? They thought the followers of Jesus, after Jesus was crucified, were going to try to steal his body. At least they're going to try to do something. And so they went to Uh, the Roman governor Pilate, and they said, you got to guard the body because these followers of Jesus will do anything to keep this movement alive. There's no way they were going to do that. They were not going to risk their lives and do something like try to steal the body or try to keep talking about Jesus because Jesus himself was dead and it would have been pointless. Why put your life in, in danger for a man who's now dead? And see, what we have to realize is when Jesus was crucified, most people unfollowed Jesus. Get that? Most people unfollowed Jesus. There was very few, if any, Jesus followers after the crucifixion because they were scared. It wasn't that they didn't love Jesus. It wasn't that they didn't appreciate his teachings or appreciate his miracles. But it's that when he died, it undermined everything he claimed to be. It undermined everything he claimed about himself. I mean, he claimed to be the son of God. The son of God isn't supposed to die. He claimed to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The Messiah is not supposed to die. He claimed to be the resurrection and the life. You can't kill the resurrection in the life. Jesus even said he was going to start a movement and death wouldn't have any power over it. And now he's dead. So why would the followers of Jesus done anything to jeopardize their own life, like steal the body or talk about Jesus when Jesus couldn't even stay alive himself? I'm telling you, for his followers, after the crucifixion, it was game over. It was absolutely nothing left to hold on to. No message to talk about. No movement to keep alive. Nothing worth repeating because Jesus is dead. And you got to believe they felt duped. You ever been taken advantage of or scammed? Doesn't feel very good, does it? You're thinking this is, this is true and this is accurate and then all of a sudden you find out it's a big lie? That's had to have been how they felt. And can you imagine the ridicule that they faced in public? (laughs) You're one of those Jesus followers. Didn't he die? Didn't he dead? And listen, every single one of these accounts we read from the eyewitnesses, nobody expected Jesus to come back. They expected him to stay dead. Nobody expected him to rise from the dead. So let's look at this story. This seventh sign that John lays out for us, the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. Now I think John's going on record here saying, hey, Jesus liked me best, just, just so you know. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Now, Mary loved Jesus. She was a follower of Jesus. She had been healed by Jesus, and like everybody else, she hoped that Jesus was all he claimed to be. And then when he died, think about the grief and the emotion that she's going through when she realizes man, this is over. And so she's going to anoint the body. And do you know why she's doing that? Because she's expecting to find a body, right? To to pay last respects. Here's what we need to write down or click on learning. Number two, no one expected a resurrection. They expected the body would be there. Nobody thought the body was going to be gone. It's not like she got to the tomb and, and, and sent out a tweet, hashtag boom, resurrection happened, told you so. We knew it. We knew it all along. No, she was freaking out. She was scared to death. She went and got Peter and John and said, they have moved the body. They weren't expecting a resurrection. And then in verses 3 through 10, Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. I love this. I don't know if this is biblical humor or what, but they were both running. But the other disciple, who is John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So what what I have so far is Jesus liked John best and John is faster than Peter. Y'all, everybody's with me, right? It doesn't stop there, which is crazy. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. In case you didn't get it earlier, I beat Peter to the tomb. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who reached the tomb first. Okay, John, we get it. You're faster than Peter. Also went in. And this is key. And he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Again, no one was expecting Jesus to come back. No matter how much he taught, no one was expecting the resurrection. They still hadn't understood the scripture that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And I love that see and believe. Hadn't that been what we've been talking about for six weeks? We don't believe based on blind faith. It's based on what the eyewitnesses saw that we too can believe. And then uh, Mary stays at the tomb. And here's what we discover in verses 11 through 13. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? They asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. I mean, think about this. There's two angels in the tomb with Mary and a resurrection still hadn't crossed her mind. That's what I'm telling you. Nobody expected it. She still thinks they've moved the body, the religious leaders, or or somebody's taken the body so they can't pay their respects to Jesus. And then this happens. She turned around to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? Now, some people are like, well, why didn't she recognize Jesus? You know? Well, think about it. It was dark. That was the very first sentence we read. She's been weeping and crying, you know, for who knows how long a day. And she was not looking for someone who was alive, she was looking for a body. To anoint. And you got to imagine Jesus has got a big grin on his face just waiting to reveal himself to her, to step in the light where she can see him, because he knows for her it's going to change everything. And then I love this. She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell, him, uh, uh, tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. Again, nobody expected Jesus to come back. And he says, Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Now, another thing, if you are making up this story, if this is all a big ruse, you would never have used a woman as an eyewitness. Because let's face it, in that culture in the first century, women had no legal standing. So their testimony back then would have never held up in court. So if you're making up a lie and you want people then to believe it, you wouldn't have used a woman because the testimony wouldn't have held water. But do you know why they wrote it this way? Because that's what happened. And then in John 20, 18, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord. Listen, this whole story of the resurrection... If Jesus truly rose from the dead, then it literally changes everything. It changes everything for them. It changes everything for us. If Jesus truly rose from the dead, then he is who he claimed to be. He is the son of God. And if Jesus conquered physical death, that means that we too can conquer physical death. We can have a resurrected life. See, we can resurrect our life through Christ. That means our old life without Christ can be resurrected to a new life with Christ. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-11. I pass on to you what was most important and what was also passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen By uh, the apostles, last of all, or then he was seen by James and later by the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of these apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Paul said, I'm not even worthy. They may have scattered and run in fear. But I persecuted God's church. I put Christians in jail. I put Christians to death. Yet because Jesus rose from the dead, because he resurrected, I can have a resurrected life in Christ. My life, no matter how bad it is, can be resurrected as well. For Paul, for any of us, our lives can be resurrected as well. Since Jesus has the power over death, he also has the power to set us free from our past, from our guilt, from our shame, from our sorrow, our fear. Jesus wants to bring resurrection to us individually. So think about Easter. It's not just a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus says it's a celebration of the resurrection of anyone who has a relationship with him. So the good news of Easter, learning number three, everyone is invited. Everybody's invited. And listen, if you're still trying to figure all this thing out and you're still curious uh, about God, about Christ, why don't you just pray, God, I'm curious. God, I want to learn more. He'll show you more. Or maybe you used to follow Christ really tight and kind of life got in the way. You know, life sometimes gets in the way or coronavirus gets in the way or, or family or whatever. Why don't you just pray, God, I'm back. I need you more than ever in my life. Or maybe this is the uh, first time you've heard this and you're ready to start a relationship with Christ. Maybe you were always taught that a relationship with Christ was about rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. And now you realize it's not. It's about a relationship with your Savior who accepts you wherever you're at. He accepts me wherever I'm at. Just pray, God, I know you sent Jesus to this earth. And as best I know how, Jesus, I'm inviting you into my life. Every single one of us can have a resurrected life in Christ. That's the beauty of Easter. That's what we celebrate. So here's what I'd like to do now. I'd like for us to to celebrate communion together. Probably the best example of remembering what Christ did for us on the cross. That his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. So if you're streaming with us from home, I want to encourage you to grab some juice, some wine, some water, bread, crackers, pizza crust, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's not about the elements. It's about remembering what Christ did. And those of you in here, if you did not get one of these communion cups, if you'll just raise your hand and keep it up and one of our lovely and not so lovely ushers will bring you one. So just please keep that hand up until you get one as I explain uh, what we're going to do. But communion, or if you grew up calling it the Lord's Supper, you called it the Eucharist, it's simply remembering that Christ's body was broken. His blood was shed for each and every one of us. He stood in our place so that we don't have to bear the wrath of God for our sin. And we can be forgiven. So... For those of you that are here, in the back there and to your left. And if you need a gluten-free wafer, you can hold your hand up too. So I'm going to explain how to open these before we get started. Just take that cellophane off of the wafer. You want to leave the cup closed, I'll give you an opportunity to open that when we get to that point. But you know, the Apostle Paul gives us instructions as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together and really paul encourages us to let god examine our heart and to get rid of anything that's in our heart that really shouldn't be in there it's a great time to kind of turn that stuff over to the lord maybe maybe this week you've had some anger about something it's just a great reminder we don't have to carry that we can give that stuff to the lord or maybe you've had some bitterness or some greed And you just need to dump it. Maybe there's some unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe you had a knockdown drag out on the way to church this morning. Isn't that the way it always happens? You're trying to get everybody ready and somebody's late. God says you don't need to to deal with that or to hold on to that. That's what I'm for. So I'm going to pray. And as we pray, just just open your heart to God and let let him show you if there's anything in there that he wants you to deal with maybe this week or this month or an area of your life he's trying to pull you closer or he's trying to pull me closer. But let's pray together. God, first of all, we thank you so much for the resurrection. Lord, that you came to this earth, your body was broken, your blood was shed for us, and you overcame death. You rose from the dead. God, showing us that we don't have to fear physical death. That when we leave this earth, we will be instantly with you. Lord, we're going to take communion and we're going to, we're going to follow what it says in the, in the scripture. We're, we're just going to ask you to remind us of anything that we haven't given you. We haven't turned over to you. Just show us in our own lives. And if God shows you anything, just in the silence of your heart, whether you're at home or you're here, just give that to him. Maybe there's somebody you need to forgive. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's a neighbor. Ask God to give you the strength this week to forgive that person. Forgiving isn't trusting. It's simply just forgiving because we've been forgiven. Or maybe there's a little bit of anger and resentment in your life. Ask God to take that away. Maybe you fear something. You fear your future. You fear your job. You fear your marriage. You fear what's going on with your kids or your health. God promises peace. He says fear is not from Him. Ask Him to take that away. And He will. Lord, thank You that You love us. Thank You that You died for us that we're going to remember right now with this bread and this cup. But thank you most of all that you didn't stay dead. You came back to life and offer us new life. Amen. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread And gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take the bread. You can go ahead and open that cup. If you're at home, whatever you're using, you can get that. And I'll continue to read in chapter 11. It says, In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Take the cup. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much again for Easter. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for this church family. Lord, thank you for all the churches in our community, in our nation, our world. Lord, as we all come together to celebrate what you did for us. Lord, I pray for each and every person watching, each person here. Lord, you know exactly what's going on in their lives, and you know their need. And I pray that you would answer that need. Lord, help us to have a great day, a great afternoon, whether we're spending it with family or friends. And Lord, most importantly, thank you for loving us. In Christ's name, amen. I want to invite you back next week at either 9 or 10.30. We're kicking off a brand new series called Blueprint. And we're going to look at the, the nitty-gritty details of why we're here of why we're here as a church, why we're in this community, and what God calls us to do. It's an incredible series. I hope you'll join us. Have a great Easter. Have a great time. God bless you, and we'll see you real soon.
1: is chasing out Close.
2: Yeah.